<clears throat> All right, so we are we're walking through the book of Joshua right now, and we've made it up until Joshua 3. Um, and so today we're going to be looking at Joshua 3, which is the point at which the, the people of Israel are going to cross over the water. Um, this is kind of like a slow motion moment for Joshua in his book because we actually take chapter 3 and 4 as a whole to stop and reflect upon the fact that they're crossing the water. As I was reading about it this, this week, one of the commentators was like, this could literally be described in like one sentence, uh, what we're going to talk about today. But, but the Bible stops and slows down and makes us consider what actually is going on in the, in the momentous occasion that is happening. So I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, which is really the end, which is describing the crossing. Um, and then we're going to dissect the verses 1 to 13 that lead up to that. So if you would join me in Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word, so thankful that uh, it speaks to us uh, in a timely manner, the things we need to hear. And so God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts with the simple truth that you have saved us this morning, that you are ours and we are yours, that we are one with you and one with the Father um, because of what you have done, not because of anything we have done. In spite of our sin, you died for us that we could be your children. And so, God, we pray you'd encourage our hearts this morning in that truth. May your word be proclaimed and your spirit guide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what leads up to this moment where the, uh, the people of Israel walk across through another body of water, right? I mean, this is actually the second time we always kind of think, oh, they, they crossed the Red Sea. Well, actually, they also crossed the Jordan uh, miraculously as well. So God is like moving all the bodies of water out of their way as they go through. So it's interesting to see. So what is it that is leading up to this time? A handful of things, and I'm, I'm going to walk through verses 1 to uh, 13, which precede this moment where they're, where they're walking through the water, um, and talk through some elements that, that are going on here. Most of this section, actually, is people talking to other people, and it gets really confusing because one moment Joshua is talking to the people as a whole, and the next very moment the Lord is talking to Joshua, and then the next moment Joshua is talking to the priests, and then the next moment he's talking to the people, and so it just gets really confusing who's talking at any given moment of this interchange. And so we're going to walk through this and try and pull apart some pieces that I think uh, are being recorded for our benefit. First is this, Joshua 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out, uh, pull that up for you, sweet. Um, and they set out from Shittim, and they came over to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. All right, so very simple verse. They were here, they got to the Jordan, and they're waiting, right? 
What is the significance of this town they went out from? Shittim. This town is previously where they, you know, okay, they have, they have come through out of Egypt, right? They've been saved out of Egypt, gone through the Red Sea, come to the brink of the land, almost went in, but decided, you know, those people are too big, right? So just rewind here. And God sent them away for a 40-year wandering in the desert. In the desert, God still is present with them, providing for them from heaven manna and food to uh, enjoy and, and be sustained by. Uh, he's bringing water out of the rocks. He's, uh, he's meeting them every step of this journey. He defeats these great kings, King Og and King Sihon, okay? And people are finding out about how God is defeating the, the people before, before, this, uh, before Israel. We saw that last week as we looked at Rahab. Rahab said, we are in fear of you because we heard how you defeated King Og and King Sihon. Okay, so all these things are happening. And then they get to Shittim, uh, which we have record of in Numbers chapter 25. You might remember this. Some of the people at this time began intermarrying with the Moabites. And as we talked about then and we talk about now, that's actually okay. Like, that's okay. That's a fine thing to happen. The problem is that when you take on the gods of the Moabites, you now have submitted to not the Lord Almighty, but rather this person that you have become yoked with. And so the problem is that they begin worshiping Baal at that point. Um, and so judgment comes on the people of Israel as they're traveling to the promised land. This is the second generation of people that are to inherit the land and boldly do so. And yet still, what is common? They're broken. They're broken people. And so, yeah, leaving Shittim. Okay, this is recorded to remember. Where, where were they last? Well, they were last dealing with sin in their camp. And so they leave Shittim and come up next to the Jordan. And at the Jordan, we have these conversations begin to happen, first in verses 2 to 4. At the end of the three days, that is the, the three days before they're going in across, at the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. So the officers are now speaking to the entire people, and this is what they say. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Okay, so what are the officers telling to the people of Israel as they are to follow the Ark of the Covenant? They're saying... Keep a distance, that's one, and two, you don't know where you're going, so you have to follow this thing, okay? So what is maybe the question, 2,000 cubits? How much of a distance is that? Well, one cubit is 18 inches, so 18 inches times 2,000 is like 36,000 or whatever it is, inches, and divide that by 12, you get to like 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet or something like that. Anyway. It's like half a mile, okay? So they're to stay a half a mile away from this ark as it's being carried. So the people are moving, but they're to stay away from this ark that is going before them half a mile. Like, you could probably just barely see it moving, right? It's, it's becoming like an ant in front of you in terms of, like, its size in your vision space, right? Uh, so you're just watching it from very far. The second is you don't know where to go, so you have to follow this thing. 
Um, to me, a couple things that the officers are pointing out to the people here is reverence first, right? God's presence is leading you. We are not God's presence. God is God's presence, and we are following his presence, and we are in awe and in fear of his great power. And so we have reverence. We also are seeking the Lord for direction. Um, another thing that we should note about their movement, and I'm just going to remind you from our time walking through from Exodus up until this point, what kind of formation are we in as we're moving? Battle formation, right? They're aligned in battle formation, okay? The people at, before this time are surrounding the Ark of the Covenant, and they're walking with the Ark of the Covenant within their midst, okay? And so now, as they're about to enter the land, is it they who go first? No, it is God who goes first. God is out in front of them, leading ahead of them. So as they're in battle formation, the reverent presence of God is going before them and showing them exactly where they're going to cross over the Jordan. Okay. That's the officers to the people. Second, uh, Joshua to the people. And again, Joshua is one of the people, so he's heard this, right? Be reverent, the Lord is going before you. Okay, Joshua to the people. He says this, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua is recognizing it. If God's holy presence is going before us, this is time to set aside anything that would make us impure. Okay, Fast if you need to. Set aside any foods that might make you unclean. Uh, you know, don't do any sort of intimate actions or anything like that. Just set yourself aside and be pure. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves for this moment. After Joshua encourages the people to consecrate themselves, he says then now to the priests, Joshua said to the priests, verse 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So it begins, right? The Ark that is once in their midst is now going before them, walking in front of the people and out ahead of them toward the Jordan River. Okay, and so after Joshua and the officers have spoken to the people and Joshua has spoken to the priests to go ahead and move forward, the Lord speaks to Joshua. And this is what the Lord says to Joshua, verses 7 to 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in, all, in, the, in sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now remember, like, we know this story, right? I, I even read it to you to start, right? We know that they're going to cross over the Jordan and go through this river. We know this. We might have seen it in a Bible story or whatever, okay? They did not know. They didn't know that waters would part for them again. They had no idea how they were going to get Two million people across the Jordan River when its banks are fuller than normal. This is harvest time. It's overflowing its banks. So how are they going to get across this river? They don't have a plan. All they know is they're to follow God toward this river and figure out how we're going to cross millions of people across the water into the Jordan, or into, into toward Jericho. So Joshua's probably taking this one step at a time, right? Okay, God says move. Okay, we're going to send the ark toward that way. That's first step. That's good. God is leading us. Um, and now, like, what next, Lord? Like, there's a river, and it's huge. 
the Lord speaks to Joshua. He says, this is how I will show Israel that I have given you the same presence that I had with Moses. Tell the priest to stop in the water, to take the ark into the waters, right at the brink of the water. And so I was looking at brinks, I guess, so a brink, you, know, you could have a brink that's at a cliff, like you're right at the edge of the cliff and there's the brink, you're like looking down into a canyon. But in a river, a brink can be like the water that's overflowed, the normal flow of the river, and right as you get to where the normal flow of the river is, you're standing right before that. Okay, so they're in kind of like a, a spillway, if you will, of where water is kind of overflowing. Think about when, when the tide is high and there's like pools up on the beach and all that kind of thing. They're like up at the edge of that water. And as soon as they step into that, the Lord says, go, go, go step into the brink of the water. So that's where they're headed. That's where the priests are headed as the Lord has commanded Joshua to tell them. And now we come to verses 9 to 13. Joshua, again, speaking to the people. And he says a, a couple of very important things that we're going to um, sit with this morning. Joshua 9 to 13. Joshua 3, 9 to 13. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Okay, you hear the confidence now that Joshua has? Like, he is now speaking, and he is telling the people, these are the words of the Lord. That, just from a person that's called to preach, that is a humbling and scary thing. To stand up in front of a group of people and say, this is what the Lord is saying. Um, and so Joshua has that confidence now, because God has spoken to him and said, hey, this is what you're going to say to the people. So come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, "How here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, this is how, this is how you will know that he will come through with the promises he has given you, that he will remain with you. This is how you're going to know that God is with you still. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over, passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men of the tribes of Israel from each, man, uh, each tribe, a man. So set aside 12 men to kind of witness to this. Okay, watch what is happening. Watch closely as representative of your tribe. Watch what is happening. Verse 13. And so Joshua, again, telling the people, this is what's going to happen. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Okay, imagine being Joshua saying, all right, so this is what the Lord told me. He said that you guys, you know, the priests are going to go stand in the water and the water's going to, you know, pile up in a heap, like way up there far away so that all of us just walk across. Hopefully, they remember that, yeah, God has done this before and have that same faith, but they don't know this is going to happen. They are, by faith, proclaiming what God is going to do. So Joshua says, hear the word of the Lord. This is how you will know that I am with you and that I 
will defeat all of your enemies. Actually, that'll defeat all my enemies, you know, also. So um, this is how you'll know. They're going to walk through on dry land, and the Ark of the Covenant, its presence is going to stop this whole heap of water so that we can walk through. What is God about doing in this moment? God is about winning our hearts. Just like always, he is after our hearts. Okay, the people of Israel have just left Shittim, okay? Where have their hearts been? Have they been of one accord? Have they been obedient to the Lord? Are they seeking him as a whole unit? No, they're broken. And so God is still reaching out to them, proclaiming to them, showing them, demonstrating... I am with you. I am going before you. I am going to win this battle. It is me and my presence that is doing this. He is fighting for our hearts that we would know he is present with us. He is living in us. And he will fight for us. This truth hasn't changed uh, at all. Uh, you know, to bring it up to our time and to reflect on this event into our time, I was just reminded of like, this is, this is the gospel. I mean, this is what God has done for you and what God has done for me. At one time, I was in Shittim. And thankfully, God brought me through the Jordan. And now I am standing in the promised land and God is defeating my enemies. You know this, you were once a sinner. You have times in your life as you look back and, yeah, Shittim looks a lot like me. It stunk. Bad. Sorry. That was, that was, a, that was, a, that was a rough. <clears throat> All right. Um, oh, the puns. They just, you know, when you have four kids, the puns just, they just come. Um, but you know, you were. You were once this sinner. You were broken. And the beauty of Scripture reveals to us, and the beauty of the Lord shows us that this is true of us and that we're in deep need. Romans 5, 6 to 11 says this, for, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You were once lost. You were once running in your own direction away from God, and he met you and said, hey, I know you're a sinner, but guess what? I died for you. In spite of your sin, I died for you. The penalty you owe, I have taken on. You might remember the time that you heard that. For the like, the, for like, for like first time, someone came to you and said, you know, uh, have you have you broken into the Ten Commandments? Like, have you keeping them all the, all those things? Like, have you ever lied? Have you ever you know have you ever cheated? Have you ever been jealous? Like, have you ever done these things? And you knew in your heart, yeah, like, yeah, I'm broken and I can't even make up for the stuff I've done. And you got convicted because you knew you owe something. 
that you can't repay. You can't go back and fix the thing or person that you hurt. You can't do it. You know, and we know, that we were guilty at one time. Far be it from us to forget that at one time, this is once how we lived. And yet, in spite of how we once lived, God died for us. That's the beauty of the good news of the gospel. God died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were hanging out in Shittim, doing the wrong stuff. He died for us. And so, what's the next step, right? Well, when you're confronted with the fact that you're broken and that God has sent his son to die for you, you can either choose to say, that's a crazy story, or you can place your faith in the son of God. And so just like the Israelites are there headed toward the Jordan wondering, how are we going to get across the land that God's telling us to take? Is it going to be by our strength? Are we going to build like a bridge across that thing? Are we going to like put rafts together and like float everybody across? Or like, we're just going to like walk through it and hope we don't get like pushed away by the, by the wake? Like, you think those thoughts are probably going through the heads about how this is going to happen? The beauty of the gospel is that it is not by any of our works that we're able to get across to this other side. But rather, it is God who saves us. The Jordan is a river of judgment and we cannot get through, okay? And God is the only one that puts it aside and says, come on through. I've done it for you. Galatians 3, 24 to 27. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've been saved from the judgment of water, and you have been buried with Christ and now raised to new life, right? We got to celebrate that a couple weeks ago. That is the picture. This water judgment is coming down on us, and the Lord has fought it for us. He has saved us out of it. God has saved us. From this Jordan. And so then what happens to the people when they get across to the other side? Joshua tells them this moment of salvation is a time for you to remember that I am with you and that I am the one that fights for you. Okay? Is all fighting and suffering and difficulty removed when you become a Christian? No. Probably gets harder, contrary to popular belief that you will know that I am with you and that I am fighting for you. Remember how I saved you. Remember where you once were and where you now are because of the Son, Jesus Christ, and know that I am with you until the very end. I will drive out the Gergeshites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and so on and so forth. Philippians 1.6 encourages us, reminds us, and the whole book of Philippians really reminds us that this is not a, like a one-decision journey. It's not like, yeah, I give my life to Christ, and I'm going to go play hockey. I don't know. Like whatever, like, whatever it is, right? Like, it's not a one decision add on to your life. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's begun something in you. 
And what he's begun in you is you dwelling in his presence forever. And so our experience here on earth is to be caught up with what God is doing in eternity and what he has accomplished in eternity. And so you can look at Philippians 1.6 and be like, all right, he started good work in me, and there it is. Paul goes on to tell over and over again the things that he is trying to encourage the people to do as they have heard this good work is starting in them. And I'm just going to fly through like a, a few things that I you know, saw in Philippians this morning about it. And um, he, he calls us to live to share the gospel. He calls us to walk in humility of Christ. He calls us to live as light in a dark world. He calls us to find our righteousness, not in ourselves, but in Christ. He calls us to remember that our citizenship is not on earth, but rather in heaven. He calls us to rejoice always in all circumstances. He calls us to pray and petition the Lord when we are anxious. He calls us to think on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. He's calling us to continue this good work that he started in us, not in our own effort, but in what he has accomplished. The story of the people of Israel did not end at the Jordan. They're not even to Jericho yet, right? Like, we've got a lot of journey to still go for them and a lot of lessons to be learned for them. And so that same uh, remembrance that they have, and we'll talk about remembrance a whole lot next week, but right now we're talking about like looking forward to what God is going to do with confidence that he is the one that is going to do it. God is challenging us to remember that he is with us and he is the one that fights our battles. What is the basis of that? Well, once you were a sinner and he saved you by the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't save you by any effort of your own, but rather he made a way for you that you could be restored to the presence of God in spite of all your actions, not in your righteousness, but rather in the righteousness of Christ. And now you know this if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time. He has shown you victory to victory to victory to victory. And it's so easy to forget what God has already done, but let us not forget what God has already done so that we can look forward with faith that God will continue to do it. I was reminded of 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 18 as I was working through this, and it says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this very day, whenever Moses read, the veil is over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is spirit. And when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The moment you meet Christ, he has begun a work in you of making you more like himself. We now have Christ. 
living in us. And he is changing us every single day to be more like him. And so I challenge you and challenge myself to not forget where you once were. God saved you from that. It is in the past. Your sins are washed away. No guilt or shame can be brought on you. If it is, it's a lie. So rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You never saved yourself. God is always the one that saved you. You couldn't part the waters of the Jordan. Only he can. You couldn't die on the cross for your sins. Only he could. A perfect sacrifice. And so now, wherever God is calling you to go, this journey in this land that God has for you, and he has something for each of us to do, somewhere for each of us to go, a calling that he's placed on our life, know that it is never your strength that you're fighting through this, but rather God's strength. Just as it was his strength that saved you, it is so his strength as you go forward to follow him where he leads you. As the people of Israel were challenged to honor the presence and holiness of God, follow him with reverence. But don't find your own direction. Follow him. Find his direction. He's the one that's going to lead you right to the brink of the Jordan and say, okay, now we're going to walk through. What? He is with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. He is with you. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for the promise of your presence with us. We're so thankful it doesn't depend on our history because it's not good. We absolutely do not deserve you. While we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, you died for us. We thank you and praise you for this. Help us remember that it, it, the faith we even have is a gift you've given us to have. God, we don't understand that. We can't comprehend that. But God, we didn't save ourselves out of the waters. You saved us. You raised us up. And so we celebrate you for who you are. God, give us faith to look forward to the calling you have before us and run toward it with the confidence that only you can give us, knowing that you're the one that is going before us. Let us not set a direction of our own, but let us see your presence leading us. Make us ever steadfast in prayer that would hear your voice just as Joshua heard your voice and knew, okay, guys, uh, take the ark to the brink of the water and step in. God, help us to have the same faith, same trust, that you're the one that'll do this. Lord, let our feet rest and rest in the direction that you set them toward. We're so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. God, challenge us this week 
to not get ahead of you, but to follow you where you're going. God, help us not set a direction of our own, but follow yours. And God, help us not worry about the people that are so big in the land because they are so small in you. We thank you for these truths and we believe them by faith because we've seen you work in our lives and we trust you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I didn't have a... Don't have a slide. It's all good. Just smile. Um, real, real prepared. Uh, we're going to move to a time of prayer, and uh, we're just going to be praying for each other. So, as usual, you know, breaking into groups of three, four, five, whatever it's going to be, um, and pray for each other's needs. Uh, but we're also just continuing to pray for uh, the conflict in Ukraine, and uh, uh, just be praying for wisdom uh, for all the nations involved and the people, safety and protection in the midst of that, and. Uh, and yeah, so obviously a ton to be praying about globally as we look on and uh, as, you know, as we pray for folks that are there. And so uh, just be praying uh, for Ukraine uh, as well as for one another, and then we'll, we'll gather again for communion.